the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. This is not Seth Liebs. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth. I'm editor-in-chief over at Ricochet.com. Also, I write fortnightly at uh, for AZ Central, the Arizona Republic, where I uh, worked my way up from being a lowly paperboy in North Phoenix to uh, now contributing there and mostly just making their audience very angry. So I'm not sure exactly why they keep me around, but great to be with you here. Uh, beautiful weather today. I'm enjoying this brief respite before it gets blazing here in the Valley of the Sun. But we have a couple guests coming up. In the next half hour, we have M- Matt Beinberg. He's the Goldwater Institute Education Policy Director. Just released a pretty amazing report. I guess I shouldn't be surprised at the problems with uh, traditional public school education these days. But uh, basically, where did all this Red for Ed money go? Well, a lot of it didn't go to teacher salaries, which it was designed to do. We'll also talk to Bethany Mandel. She lives in the D.C. area, writes all over the place, including at uh, my site Ricochet. We do a podcast together as well. But uh, she's been really focusing on a lot of these anti-Semitic attacks that started throughout the U.S. and Europe, too, with the uh, fighting between Hamas and Israel. So we'll talk about that towards the end of the show today. But I'm with you today until 6. I'm trying, right before I got on air, I was trying to keep up with my Twitter feed. Um, Yesterday, Phil Mickelson, he, at age 50, he won a major in the PGA, and everybody was very impressed and thrilled. And uh, wanting to join in on the celebration, I mentioned that I attended college with Phil Mickelson, so he owes me at least some respect for that. I, I must have helped him somehow. I never met him or anything, but we did attend college together, and I also mentioned that uh, I went to high school with Kurt Schilling. He was one year behind me at uh, Shadow Mountain, Go Matadors, uh, when I was a, a wee lad. And uh, yeah, just before I got on air, Kurt Schilling uh, replied to me and thanked me for all the influence I had over his uh, World Series spanning baseball career. Um, I actually didn't have any. Um, <laughs> I, I, I doubt maybe I passed him in the hallway, but I really appreciate him giving me credit for uh, winning all the World Series and being such a great pitcher. So I'm a little confused by that. I can't believe that Kurt Schilling just uh, reached out to me. But uh, yes, I take the credit for Mickelson and Schilling. Um, If Aaron Rodgers wants to check in, I will take credit for his career as well. Lots going on in the news. Um, As I'm sure you've seen, we're having all sorts of problems all over the place. And as I wrote a couple weeks ago, I first mentioned back in February one article that annoyed the readers at AZ Central, of course, um, with Joe Biden bad-talking the U.S., saying how terrible everything is, saying how bad the economy is. He had been president for a month then. He isn't running for election at this point, but he's still bad-mouthing America. He said there's no way we can possibly change the trajectory of COVID, and uh, I think that was the final statement where I had enough. I said this is just a repeat of the old Jimmy Carter playbook. He's going right into malaise. The American people are the problem. America's racist. America itself is the problem. 
And at a time when we really need enthusiasm and optimism, we have Joe Biden saying how terrible everything is. And you know what? You shouldn't wait for it to get much better because it won't. Well, that was before his policies had really taken effect. And really, he's only gotten one major piece of legislation through. The rest have been executive orders. But he basically spent, (laughs) well, I was going to say all the money in the bank, but basically all the money in our credit card. Now he's applying for higher credit limits at the point. But with his COVID relief bill, COVID being in quotes, it was basically a grab bag for all of his friends and well-connected fans who helped him get elected in the first place. We now have inflation. That's on the radar. I haven't heard of inflation being an issue since I was a child, uh, probably before I started slinging papers for the Arizona Republic and well before I even met uh, and created the baseball phenomenon that is Kurt Schilling. Um, I remember being a little kid waiting in gas lines. Hey, gas lines are back. A couple weeks ago throughout the southeast, we had gas lines everywhere. We've all seen the price of the pump jump. It's basically instead of about 30 bucks I used to spend to fill up my tank, now it's 40-something. And all of us were already experiencing that because he came out and promised not to limit fracking. But as soon as he was president, he starts limiting fracking. He starts pushing this uh, kind of foolish green agenda. You know, let the market decide if a company wants to push wind or solar. It can be effective in some circumstances. It doesn't really work at scale. And anyone who knows anything about energy at all knows that this is the case. It's nice if we could get all our, you know, energy from unicorns and rainbows. We would have done it a long time ago. But right now, fossil fuels are a main source of energies, especially for cars. And uh, we should be pressing nuclear like crazy, especially if they say they care about uh, basically all this uh, carbon issues that they have with global warming. If they actually cared about that, uh, the only thing released from nuclear plants and they're running is steam, uh, not radioactive steam either, just steam. I, I actually operated nuclear reactors in the Navy. It was kind of a, a big deal. I'm kind of educated on the subject. It's an incredibly clean source of energy. And if they really cared about the environment rather than trying to destroy capitalism, then they would have no problem pushing nuclear. But they don't want to do that. Basically, they just want to cripple our economy as much as possible. So inflation, gas lines, What else? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Carter had that whole problem with Iran. Remember that when they took hostages? Well, uh, they have not changed their troublemaker rogue state status whatsoever. First thing he does in office, hey, let's give them money. Let's get rid of sanctions against them. You had Donald Trump pushing about a year ago is when they all started. The dominoes started falling. Trump pushing these Abraham Accords where he basically detached Hamas and the Palestinian question from dealing with the Middle East and Israel. So what you get is about eight different Arab nations who are very concerned about Iranian expansionism, and they declared peace and normalized relations with Israel. Well, he was given this on the platter, <laughs> you know, this huge impasse in the Middle East that has been around my entire life, at least. And uh, he was given it on a platter, and but he doesn't like Trump because he said mean things on Twitter. So We have to reverse all this stuff. He starts giving money back to Hamas. What does Hamas do with that money? They fire it via rockets into Israel and start another battle where there hasn't been one of these things since. Who is in office? Oh, yeah, Obama, because they know they now have a friend in the White House. So all these things we saw during the whole Carter era, 
we're seeing in the Biden era, and it's on steroids. I first noticed this in February. I wrote about it then, wrote about it a couple weeks ago as well. Um, all this stuff was not a problem a year ago, and now it is. And instead, you have Joe Biden pushing his new jobs plan. Again, I think this is, what, $2 trillion boondoggle? Everything he wants to do is in the trillions of dollars. It's absolute madness. We already have inflation creeping up. You know, go try to buy a stick at Home Depot, and uh, I hope you bring a wheelbarrow full of cash like they do in Venezuela because that's pretty much what you're going to need. If you have any uh, housing projects, you want to build a shed, you want to uh, build a deck, maybe extend, shade your patio to uh, avoid the summer. So, um, yeah, things are kind of a mess right now. And uh, one thing that we can hope for is uh, a snapback for the midterm elections. It's very important uh, that we get at least some sanity back in the House to uh, take over the House. And we can also take back the Senate. Uh, One seat needs to change in the Senate. I can't remember the total in the House, but it's something like six seats need to change, something around there. But both are very, very doable. And uh, basically, an incoming president almost always loses uh, their first midterm election. Their party ends up losing. So we are on track to do it. So everything really ties into this, uh, and that's been a frustration among many people uh, who are basically the grassroots of the party, worrying about someone like Liz Cheney who wants to complain about a guy who isn't president anymore. Instead of taking the fight to Joe Biden, uh, you have Democrats running the White House. They're running the House. They're running the Senate. And uh, Liz Cheney's complaining about a guy in Mar-a-Lago right now. It's just crazy and... uh, Once again, we're seeing Washington being very much out of touch. You had George Will, a man I had a lot of respect for, at least in the past. He has been uh, bashing Trump nonstop, of course, but whatever. He's kind of more libertarian. I can understand him not liking Trump. But he said on one of the Sunday shows this week that we need to view the insurrection on January 6th as equivalent to 9-11. Um, This is madness. This is absolute madness. And um, the so-called professional conservatives in D.C. need to understand uh, the party isn't going to stand for it. Uh, The grassroots have no interest in their silly games. So why don't we go to an ad break here and then we'll come back, chat more about the news of the day. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Great to have you here. And by the way, we have a, a special a special offer here uh, tomorrow evening, as you heard during the ad break, is 960 The Patriots Crisis at the Border event. It's at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Scottsdale Resort, and it stars Sebastian Gorka, Mike Gallagher, Congressman Andy Biggs, and Seth Liebson. If you're the first caller right now at 602-508-0960, we will give you a pair of free tickets. So call in. Um, I wanted to go back to, we were talking about uh, Liz Cheney, and I I think the annoying thing is many of the politicos and pundits in D.C. view the party as personality. It's all about the power games. It's basically, okay, Liz Cheney versus Kevin McCarthy versus Donald Trump versus this personality versus this other personality – And what does it mean for the future of the party in D.C.? 
Um, one thing that they never talk about is, in Liz Cheney's case, uh, the voters in Wyoming, the state she's supposed to represent. They, uh, I, I think it was something like 20 percent of Republicans in Wyoming will vote for her in a primary. Everyone else is coming out against her. Uh, they, they will vote for anyone, you know, find a tumbleweed rolling through Cheyenne that are going to vote for that if it has an R after its name. So um, it, it's just very frustrating to see this Beltway-focused media talking only about the Beltway and not talking to voters. And they keep getting themselves into trouble uh, about this stuff, and they don't seem to realize it. You know, for four years under Trump, they were just running into the same wall all the time, lecturing voters to change their mind. That, that's not how you changes, change anyone's mind. And you have a situation with uh, Cheney where she wants to spend all her time getting on the Sunday morning shows on the mainstream networks and getting praised by CNN and the New York Times. That's not what Wyoming voters want. What Wyoming voters want is her to fight for the energy industry, which is a very big deal in Wyoming. They want her to fight for the Second Amendment, for the First Amendment, to fight against critical race theory in our schools. That's what they want her focus on. And instead, anytime she's in the news, she's bellyaching once again about an ex-president. And it's just crazy. And it was right for uh, the Republican uh, minority in the House to boot her basically, because she is not doing her job. Her job is to unify the party, not to divide the party. Um, that is what a leader is supposed to be doing. Frankly, it isn't a huge deal. She was the number three on the pecking order for the minority party. Um, it's kind of silly the media gave her so much attention just because she hates Trump, but the media is going to be the media, I guess. But it, it's pretty maddening to see these people keep making the same mistakes. What Republicans should be focusing on is not, and I don't care if you're for him or against him, their focus should not be on Donald Trump. Their focus should be on Joe Biden because that is the fight we can have right now. That's where the territory is best. Um, th this is very basic. All I can think of is Sun Tzu, uh, The Art of War. I'm sure many, many, many of you have read it. It's a very short book. But it's, you know, a millennia-old text on how to fight battles. And it's so, so much of it is common sense, probably because it's been used again and again and again in military settings, but it got very popular a few decades back in business settings as well because it's just – a lot of the stuff is just common sense. One thing he said is one mark of a great soldier is that he fights on his own terms or he doesn't fight at all. Um, talking about Donald Trump is not the Republicans' own terms. Talking about Joe Biden's failures, that's our own terms. Um, yeah, basically, move not unless you see an advantage. Uh, don't use your troops unless there's something to be gained. Don't fight unless the position is critical. These are all things that uh, Liz Cheney, if she has any leadership ability whatsoever, would just understand instinctively, like you and I understand it instinctively. Uh, maybe she just has a virus of the mind you get by living in the beltway too long and being in that bubble. But it's just crazy. Um, they need to be taking, taking the fight to Democrats and not shooting inside their own tent. And it's beyond me why anyone thinks that's a winning strategy. There are still uh, many pundits that I'll follow on social media. And I used to be a huge fan. Now I'm kind of wavering. But yeah, they're, they're just talking about anything that could possibly be a negative for the GOP. That's all they want to talk about. We need to fix this. We need to fix this. Um, why don't we first try to fix the guy in the White House, the party that controls both houses of Congress, then we can worry about uh, cleaning out our own tent. But right now, 
Um, the Aegean stables uh, that Hercules had to clean by diverting a river, that's all in the Democrats right now. They run everything and it doesn't matter um, if a representative in Wyoming, the reddest of all red states, um, that she doesn't like the last president. It has nothing to do with the here and now. It has nothing to do with increasing our energy independence. It doesn't solve the gas lines. It doesn't get us out of Middle Eastern wars that we've been in for 20 years. It doesn't stop inflation. All it does is hurts the party that at least has a chance to alleviate some of these problems. So, yeah, I just needed to rant on that a little bit and uh, ask these D.C. pundits, what what the heck are you doing? Uh, can you please talk to voters for a while? Walk about your life, you know, go to the car wash, go to the barber shop, grab a coffee, talk to the server at the restaurant. No one is talking about Liz Cheney. No one is talking about Donald Trump. They're talking about, crap, I'm paying too much of the pump. Why are prices going up in this restaurant? <laughs> I want to finish my deck in my house and I can't because it's too expensive. That's what people are talking about from the people who are politically involved to the people who are just apolitical basically. Um, a good way to keep your sanity is to have a lot of friends and family who are apolitical. Um, I, of course, have many friends who are conservatives, a few who are progressive. Um, but I always gauge what's going on in politics by the people who don't care about politics. What are they talking about? What are they complaining about? They're not complaining about Donald Trump. They're complaining about mask mandates. They're complaining about why they're trying to put masks on three-year-olds uh, going to, I don't know, spend a couple hours at a day camp uh, over the summer so they can get a little playtime in. That's what people are talking about. They're not talking about these silly political games, intra-party uh, fights going on in D.C. boardrooms, et cetera. So hopefully we can get back uh, to taking the fight to Democrats if Republicans have any interest in returning to power, let alone fixing these problems that Biden and the Democrats are introducing. The first thing they need to do is stop attacking them each other and themselves and uh, start taking the fight to the people who are seriously ruining this country. Uh, <laughs> we need to do it. Um, there are many, many issues in the news today, and we'll be going through a few of them. One thing that I've always cared a lot about, uh, full disclosure, I worked at the Goldwater Institute for a couple of years back in 20, like 2010 to 2012, and I covered all kinds of issues. But uh, the issue that really stuck with me was school choice, and I reached out to the education policy director there, and he's going to be with us after the ad break at the bottom of the hour but this actually, all these lockdowns, all these mask mandates in school, around the country you see school choice on the move, be it homeschool, private school, charter schools, um, ESAs, these empowerment savings accounts, they are breaking out all over. And so uh, Matt Beinberg from the Goldwater Institute is going to join us to talk about what's going on with that. And uh, we'll talk to him in a few minutes. Thanks for being with me here on 960 The Patriot. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth Liebson. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth. And uh, very happy to have this guest on. We have Education Policy Director of the Goldwater Institute, Matt Beinberg. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, Matt. 
But yeah, uh, right. yeah I, uh, you have a new report out uh, talking about the Arizona school districts. We all lived a couple of years ago through these red for red things, and we need increased teacher pay. We need increased teacher pay. Governor Doug Ducey delivers increased teacher pay, but a lot of that money isn't going in the teachers' wallets. Well, why don't you explain what the heck is going on here? Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we just put out a new report on this, and as you alluded to, you know, a couple of years ago there were red for red strikes. Uh, big marches and demonstrations, and the governor and the state legislature greenlit a program, hundreds of millions of dollars to go to the public schools, you know, expressly for the idea of increasing teacher pay. It was enough to give, it's going to be a 20% teacher pay uh, increase in terms of what the, the legislature was funding. They handed that over to the public schools, and essentially now we're seeing with some of that data coming out, hundreds of millions of dollars not actually going to the teachers themselves goes to the districts, for example, and then gets spent on essentially anything but a teacher. And so, as we found, about $170 million uh, in the last school year alone that legislators funded, you know, expecting to see that go to teachers, did not go there. Um, and so in terms of the actual dollars that went to teachers, it's about 40% of the funds that the legislature added into the mix for teacher pay that actually made it there. Um, and, you know, so that's a pretty striking result for something that the legislature had really done a, a major, uh, you know, policy uh, push there to do that, and then finding that it doesn't make it, and you, you sort of see the cycle continue. We write about that in a report of, you know, folks then say, well, why are our teachers not getting money? It must be the legislature's fault, and yet it's, it's the money's disappearing somewhere else in the system. Right, right. And uh, Governor Ducey has been strong from the start in trying to focus on teacher pay and kind of decouple that from um, – basically creating big slush funds for, you know, new district office buildings and, you know, we, we need we need new pools, we need new this, we need new that. There are an endless um, wish list of facilities and uh, administrative staff that uh, the school districts want. He's focused on teacher's pay and, uh, as I said at the intro, he delivers it and uh, who is the one – who are the people who are diverting these funds from the teachers to other other items? Sure, yeah, and essentially the way it works, the, the folks who ultimately make the budgeting decisions, again, most people tend to think, well, if the teachers aren't seeing enough money, it must be the legislature. When the legislature passes the funding for this, it goes to the school districts, right? So it's the administration of that school district. It's the governing board, it's the superintendents who make those budgeting decisions, and essentially they opt to, as you said, you know, uh, we've seen this for decades now, funding goes toward all sorts of different items. And you know, we, we tried to include this in the report because, you know, folks say, well, it sounds kind of striking that you wouldn't see this money going to teachers, but it's really something that we've seen sort of over and over. Um, you know, it wasn't just the teacher pay raise package that the governor had proposed and the legislature passed. Even when voters signed on to Prop 301 uh, to increase the state sales tax about 20 years ago, that money was supposed to go to the classroom, supposed to go to teachers. And the state auditor general, who's the sort of state watchdog group, has been, you know, waving the red flag for years saying, this money's actually not going where it's supposed to. These school districts get this new money, but instead of adding it on, you know, and increasing teacher pay, they take the new dollars, give it to teachers, and then take the old dollars and push it somewhere else. And so that's sort of what we've seen repeating itself uh, for years now. Yeah, it's really troubling. And that's the thing. When you look at these uh, charts that you'll see kind of not in the main academic literature, but I don't know, USA Today or something will do a report, you just see uh, – Education funding for K-12 go up, 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 and uh, test scores are not <laughs> following the trajectory. Teacher pay isn't following the trajectory. 
it's uh, just become pretty crazy with this. Do we know exactly where this money's going instead of to teachers, or is it just kind of distributed all over the place? Because I know um, something that's been a constant problem is just administrative bloat, both in K through 12 and you know, if you walk through a campus, about half the buildings are admins. They, they aren't teachers teaching students. Um, do we have a lot of that going on as well with the school districts? Yeah, and, you know, the, the point you brought up about sort of what we hear is constantly the, the other, you know, folks out there saying, well, our schools are underfunded. We were cutting funding. The public school system is now funded about 40 percent more per student in real inflation-adjusted terms today than it was about four decades ago. So that means for a class of about 20 kids, you're talking somewhere in the range of $60,000 in real dollars that the, the schools have more today than they did back then. Right. Okay. So, we, we need to cut to a break. Can you hang on with me for the next segment? Sure. Happy to. Thanks so much. We will be back in a few minutes here to talk about education. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel of uh, AZ Central and Ricochet.com filling in for Seth today. Uh, very happy to have Matt Weinberg on. He is the Education Policy Director for the Goldwater Institute, which just released a big report talking about these, um, we all remember the Red for Ed protests and how the major funding increases provided by the Arizona legislature didn't end up in teachers' pockets all that much. Um, this money is going everything everywhere but the teacher's pocket in some of these cases. Matt, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, since you cover education policy in general, I've been a huge proponent of uh, school choice, and that's not to knock the traditional public schools. My kids have attended charters. They've attended traditional public schools. They've all been great. I live out in the East Valley, and one reason that they're all great is they're competing against each other, and uh, <laughs> it's there, there's nothing really to complain about. Um, and in this past year of lockdowns and forcing masks on very young children, especially in some of the stricter blue states and big cities, um, is this a real school choice moment? Because I'm talking to hardcore progressives who are homeschooling their kids now because they just can't tolerate it anymore. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. You know, so many parents were thrown for a loop and, and really kind of thrown overboard when the schools closed. And then, you know, the teachers unions insisted that they stay closed. You know, even defying science, you know, folks weren't really sure about sort of the uh, some of the risks with COVID among students early on. Certainly by, you know, the, the spring semester, it was, you know, increasingly established science that kids need to be back in school. And yet the unions and the establishment were continuing to aggravate uh, and essentially close off these options for parents. And so I do think that you had a lot of parents who became frustrated and really desperate for options. And so, you know, flocking to things like charter schools, uh, pandemic pods, micro schools, private options. And so I think that's something that the unions really overplayed their hands and parents, I think, got to see just how important these things are. And so, you know, looking across the country, uh, the education savings accounts, for example, it's a program that Arizona actually started the first one about 10 years ago called ESAs um, or Empowerment Scholarship Accounts here in Arizona. It's a program that essentially says if you're not having your needs met in the traditional public school, you can take a piece of what the state would have normally spent on you to send your kid to public school. That's about $12,000 that gets spent on students in public education. And it says, we'll give you a piece of that, and you can use that for your student. You can use that for tutoring, for uh, private school tuition. You can use it for special needs therapies. Essentially, whatever your student needs and whatever 
opportunity they'll learn best in, um, you can use it for that. And we've seen several states adopt programs like that this year that never had them before. There's a bill right now in Arizona, SB 1452, that would increase access to our program to uh, low-income students throughout the state. That's something that um, you know, legislators have been fighting for and definitely uh, hoping to see that get over the finish line. So yes, I think it is absolutely a year of, of school choice and the more the folks can do to let that message be known you know, to, to legislators, the governor, whoever, to say, we need this and this is important, I think, the better. Well, of Arizona's many great exports, um, empowerment savings accounts have been amazing. And I'm seeing them pop up, you know, I'll follow on social media, very uh, various school choice groups, and they seem to be spreading around the country pretty prominently. What other states have adopted this uh, Arizona-crafted initiative to help out the kids in those states? Yeah, um, several even just this year. West Virginia implemented a completely universal one. Any student in the state now is eligible for it. And they went essentially from zero to 60. They didn't have any ESA program or really even charter schools. And, and their program is now open to everybody. Kentucky, Indiana, Missouri, uh, Florida expanded theirs this year. So there's been a host of states that have been creating and expanding these programs. Uh, and again, yes, this is something that you know started here in Arizona and other states have, have really caught on. And so working to make sure that this continues to be open, not just to uh, you know the, the sort of smaller population of students right now who are eligible, but um, expanding this to be, you know, as we saw, you know, a million students in Arizona's public schools, um, you know, essentially being locked out of the education that they needed this past year and things like school choice, you know, whether it's ESAs or charter schools that, that offer those families an opportunity that says, if you're not getting what you need in the district, we're not going to, you know, leave you without options. You, you have a choice and you can seek out whatever your student needs best for their education. Yeah. And, and it's so, so much of this is common sense. Any parent knows. I, I have two kids. And uh, when it comes to their learning styles, they might as well be from other planets. They <laughs> The same parents, same environment, totally different learning styles. And just being able to um, suit the education style uh, to the learning style of the kid is so crucial. And empowerment savings accounts, especially when you have kids dealing with autism, for example, you know, they will need special help somehow and they might thrive in a normal environment and they might need extra help in math or extra help all around. Depending on the kid, one of my children deals with autism, and it took us a long time to figure out why uh, she was uh, kind of learning so differently than her sister. But once we figured it out, it's just being able to get the special help they need, whether it's a special kind of tutor, maybe they need a certain kind of language training, uh, maybe it's a distance learning thing. If you're living up on the Navajo Nation and you're in a very remote area, and why wouldn't uh, educators who belong to unions want to help these children? Well, and I think the, uh, the sort of uh, sad reality is that, you know, these options don't fall within the control of the union, right? And mm -hmm. so they, you saw this during the pandemic again with lots of parents flocking and starting these community pods or, or co-ops or micro schools, right? Just parents in the neighborhood maybe getting together, maybe finding a teacher, finding a tutor and being able to do this and things like ESAs make that possible. But that's not, you know, there's no middleman there. The, the, the union, the district doesn't run that. And so, you know, kind of tying back to the teacher pay paper, money that goes to a family through an ESA, they have, they can control 100% of that. They can put 100% of that toward a teacher or a tutor tuition, whatever they think is best needed for their kids, right? It's not a, there's no middleman there where you send 12000 and, you know, a, a fraction of that makes it. Every dollar that goes to the family, they can choose and spend. If they want to spend 100% of that on tutors and teachers, they can do that. If they want to, you know, uh, allocate it based on what they think is going to be the most meaningful, 
they have the ability to do that. And that's obviously not something that fits into the narrative of kind of establishment education bureaucracy. Right, right. You don't have the middleman there. Um, another issue that's just been huge, uh, especially in the past year, is uh, we've seen protests and votes around the country about critical race theory. And I think one of the things that's happening when uh, kids are remote and their parents are looking over their shoulder and seeing some of the stuff that's being pushed by teachers, they're saying, wait a minute, I didn't know they were teaching this stuff. <laughs> what the heck is going on? Is there stuff that Goldwater's been doing to kind of increase the academic transparency of these programs? Yeah, that's actually something we have been pushing, this, this idea of academic transparency, essentially to say, again, a lot of teachers with the backing of the National Education Association, the, the country's largest teachers union, has come out unabashedly and essentially said, we need to be pushing this sort of content that you know says that we should be treating each other, we should be explicitly discriminating um, you know, based on, on race and, and treating people differently, uh, demanding racial reparations, getting into you know, just nakedly political issues. Um, that aren't based on, you know, promoting students' academic achievement. And so uh, the Goldwater Institute is helping to push back on that and say, we need to start making it clear to parents what's being taught in those classrooms. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, everybody, um, get on social media. Follow the Goldwater Institute. Uh, thanks so much, Matt Beinberg. Thanks for the great work you're doing. As a parent, I thank you. As a policy nerd, I thank you. <laughs> Keep up the great job there uh, at Goldwater. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks you so bet. Much. Um, and thanks again to Matt and Goldwater. Yeah, uh, take control of your kids' education uh, because union bosses, uh, often in far-off uh, parts of the country, are not going to do it for you. Many parents across the political spectrum are, are learning this, perhaps a little too late, but uh, not too late for our kids uh, needing education here and now. So thanks for that. We're going to do a quick ad break, and I'll catch you on the other side. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show here on 960 The Patriot. Great to be with you. This is John Gabriel filling in for Seth. And uh, remember to check out this uh, border um, border event that they're going to be holding with Seth. Uh, you're going to have Seb Gorka there, all sorts of luminaries. Um, it's tomorrow night, so uh, check it out, folks. It's going to be pretty amazing. Um, let's talk about school choice. Um, this has always been a big issue for me, not only because it's good policy. It also really wakes up parents, you know, those apolitical people I talk about who don't really follow politics. When they start butting heads with the school board <laughs> in the school districts, they get woken up very quickly. Um, I saw this with my sister who just couldn't care less about politics. She's busy. She's living her life. She's uh, doing great. And she doesn't have time to deal with it until she started butting heads with local school districts and the silly bureaucracy saying, hey, I actually care about how my kids are educated. I'm getting involved now. So it's a big issue that can help people. And and just to show, uh, too, what you'll have the teachers unions do is say, oh, you're just haters. You hate teachers and you hate uh, traditional public schools. Um, this is balderdash, basically. Um, what we had is we are in the district for Mesa Public Schools, for instance. And uh, when our kids were little and trying to get into kindergarten, I started checking into the school performance and found out the school that's in my neighborhood, terrible performance. And uh, what we did is we found out, uh, we looked at charter schools, we looked at uh, traditional public schools. Well, Mesa Public Schools themselves created these 
test programs, uh, teaching Montessori-style education for younger children. This was done completely through traditional public schools. They just had a couple of these test things. We decided to try it out. They got fantastic education there. Went through the school district, and um, it was great. And then later on, when that stopped, basically, uh, they, they got aged out of those programs. They moved on to charter schools, and those were awesome. Well, the only reason this Montessori program was created by Mesa Public Schools is they're getting competition from homeschooling, which has been big in Mesa for as long as I've been alive. They've always had a strong uh, homeschooling uh, element out there in Mesa. And then, too, from charter schools. They're like, wow, we need to up our game and compete and offer a few different programs. They also have programs, you know, schools focusing on STEM, focusing on international relations and business. That's great. Um, <laughs> the good thing about school choices, you could look around and you might find out the absolute best education for your kid is right there in a traditional public school. And if so, go there. You know, there, there's great education. And when you have school choice, you kind of uh, a raising tide raises all boats and all kids and all parents have better options out there. We are going to be going to the news break for the top of the hour. And then we will be back after that in just a few minutes. Thanks for listening to the Seth Liebson Show. This is John Gabriel filling in here on 960 The Patriot.